Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in and making this podcast a part of your day today. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. Sex, love, and relationships. That is the topic of the day, which is actually quite timely because we just had Valentine's Day. And I don't know about you, Ryan, but the weather kind of ruined it for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Most people right now, as we're recording, are under snow or snowed in. It's basically all of Texas. You look at all of Texas, yeah, and it's snow everywhere. In Texas, the one place where you think it doesn't <laughs> snow, the whole entire state is snowed in. Just about. Yeah. I've been enjoying Facebook because um, all of my Texas friends are freaking out. <laughs> they, yeah. Either they're excited or they don't know what to do. Yeah, even 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 uh, uh, we were just talking about before we even recorded how everybody who was from California and moved from California yeah. to Texas, they're all freaking out because they don't know what to do with the snow. <laughs> uh, that cracks me up, and it ruined all of our Valentine's Day plans because I had planned something for Saturday with my wife, and uh, we couldn't leave the house because uh, everything was ice. Uh, where I don't know, uh, where we were, it snowed and immediately turned into a layer of ice, and then it stayed frozen for like three days. Yeah, see, I live in a place where it never snows, <laughs> ever. So, and when I want it to snow, and I'm hoping it snows, we get rain. So, uh, fortunately, we've had a lot of rain, tons of rain, and not much snow. Uh, but yeah, we're today. I'm I'm really really uh, pumped up and looking forward to our interview today because we're going to be talking with somebody that I think everyone who's listening knows who this is, and that is uh, Sean McDowell. And we're going to be talking to him about his new book, uh, Sex, Love, and Relationships. Uh, that's really, it's really a book that's it's for, for parents and young adults and, uh, and teenagers. It's, it's a very phenomenal book. And and I'm very pumped up to actually be talking about this subject because, again, we didn't plan for this. We did this interview uh, about a couple months ago. And, it was before the new year. Yeah, before the new year. And we had no plans of releasing it in February. It just landed and magically happened to we're gonna be releasing it this week. Uh, but I'm really excited about this book because it is a phenomenal resource uh, for parents and for youth pastors to put in, in the hands of a parent. Yeah. And if you're single, don't check out because there's actually, uh, and we bring this out in the conversation, there, there's some aspects of being single as well when it comes to this topic that Sean covers in the book and and we cover in the interview. So uh, th- this is something that is applicable to literally everybody. Well, guys, stay tuned as we talk with Sean McDowell.
guys, I am very pumped up for our interview this week. We're going to actually be talking to somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for a very long time. I've read quite a few of his books, even taught um, some of the curriculum that he's been part of as well to students, and that is Sean McDowell. And I'm excited about uh, the new, a new book that you've released. Uh, but before we get into that, just in case there's anybody here who doesn't know who you are, how about you introduce yourself a little bit, uh, your journey in ministry and where you are today? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I've been, been looking forward to this too. So I, I teach full-time at Biola University, specifically Talbot School of Theology in primarily apologetics pro, uh, in our apologetics program. So classes on the problem of evil, the resurrection of Jesus, Christian sexual ethics. But I also teach high school part-time. I was a high school Bible teacher for 10 years. And when the opportunity came up at Biola, uh, I had two questions, or my wife did. She's like, do we have to move to LA? That was question number one. Question number two was, could I still teach high school part-time? Because my heart, like yours, is really the next generation. So on top of that, just write and speak. And uh, I'm a dad. I got three teens in my house right now. So life is crazy and full. And uh, I guess I've been in ministry about two decades. So that's a little snapshot of my life. That's awesome, man. And I'm excited to talk to you too, because when I was a teenager, um, I actually saw your dad at a, a teen conference out in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Oh, nice. And, and, uh, and my, my youth pastor bought me a book if I promised to read it, and I still have to fulfill that promise. <laughs> There's new evidence that demands a verdict. That thing's like a doorstop. Oh, my <laughs> dad hasn't even read that. It's so big. So, <laughs> um, And then when I got into ministry and found out that Josh McDowell's son was doing ministry, I was like, oh, this is just gold. So um, I've been looking forward to, to this interview as well. And, and I'm, uh, I'm curious of, of all the, the things that you do with the apologetics and, and training people and, and teaching and the books you've written, um, this new book that you've, you've uh, written called Chasing Love, uh, what was it that led you to uh, write this book and, and who's it targeted for? Well, there's a few things. First off, it's part of the True Love Waits campaign that you all know has been books and curriculums since 1993. And they first came to me and said, hey, we'd like you to be the spokesman for this, for kind of the next incarnation of it. And to be honest with you, I played a little bit hard to get because I wanted to make sure that they really wanted me for this. And as I thought about more, I was like, wow, here's a, a name brand of a ministry that's influenced a ton of people. So they have kind of a built-in market, to be honest. And I thought, gosh, I've been speaking and writing on this topic for decades, but I've never really sat down and formulated all my thoughts together. And then the other piece was like, gosh, I have three teenagers in the home right now. This gives me an excuse to engage them and I could write it very personally. And then the other piece of this, as you mentioned, my father, Josh McDowell, he actually led the first global sexual abstinence campaign in the 80s called Why Wait? This was before True Love Waits. So when I'm 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, my dad was the largest spokesman along with James Dobson in the Christian church teaching this stuff. So I think looking back, I have a pretty unique perspective of somebody raised under this abstinence, sexual purity movement, but now the conversation has changed. What does it look like to teach sexual purity today? Wow, that's awesome. I actually, uh, I, have, I have the ring. 
when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. I, my, my parents got me the True Love Weights ring for Christmas wow. one year. And my wife got one too. And it was part of our marriage ceremony. We put our rings in a box and really? got new rings um, symbolizing our marriage. So uh, that, that movement affected us uh, greatly. Uh, wow. Because that was something that we, we pushed uh, in our church. Something I'm sure, Ryan, you probably heard it in the church you grew up in. Oh yeah. Yeah. We did. Uh, in fact, we did, I did the true love weights project. I think last time I remember maybe one time when I was in middle school, uh, in the late nineties and one time in high school and, uh, the early two thousands, um, even recently, even probably good night, probably six years ago, we went through, uh, true love weights project, uh, with my teams. And we had, uh, we did something different at the end where we had like a, like a poster that we all signed, uh, just committing to uh, purity and having sure. on the wall. It's still there. So yeah, so yeah, very, very familiar with it. And one thing that the True Love Weights Project, uh, I'm glad that you took this project on because how the, how the church needs to approach sex, love, and relationships and needs to evolve. But why right. does it, why does the church's approach to addressing this sex, love, and relationships? Why does it need to change? Well, I think we need to change some of the message and of the approach, <laughs> both of them. Now, the approach needs to change because people are communicating differently. I mean, now there's kids getting content nonstop in their feeds through TikTok. Now there's Netflix. So the way we deliver this and the kind of content we're delivering to students just simply has to change and it has to be updated to how they're getting content today. So that's one thing. But the other reason it has to change is the conversation has totally changed. And in the past, you go basically before a decade and the LGBTQ conversation was there, but it really started blowing up in the 2010s, especially with the ruling of Obergefell in 2015 on same-sex marriage. So almost every question I get from a young person is either, how do I love my friends with same-sex attraction? How do I deal with my own same-sex attraction? Should I use a preferred gender pronoun? Like these are the kinds of questions that our students are wrestling with. And that's just very different than the 90s and the early 2000s. So I think the other broad difference I would say is at least as a whole, up until not too long ago, if you said you're a Christian and you believe the Christian sexual ethic, people might disagree with you, but there's a sense of, well, that, that's good. I'm glad you're living that way. I, I wish I could do that. I just can't, but that's a wonderful thing you're doing. Now it's like if you actually think the Christian sexual ethic of Jesus is right, you are bigoted, hateful, and harmful towards others. That's how radically this narrative has shifted. So we have to equip our students much more deeply and intentionally than we did in the past. And you just think about, I forget the numbers, pre-COVID it was like, oh, I'm going to mess it up. I got a study from Barna. I think it was like 17 to one, the amount of time that kids spend engaging social media and their smartphones versus being in church. So the idea of like, I'm going to give an hour long sexual purity talk and have somebody sign a poster. That may have worked in the past if somebody's getting support from their family and their Christian school and their network. But for most kids today that are not getting that, that's not going to suffice to help them really make the wise decisions relationally and sexually that they need to make. 
Yeah. And, and that's, I, I remember um, when we went through this, my, my church, uh, we, we pushed it. We did like the purity talks right around February 14th every year. Right. <laughs> right. The youth group. <laughs> and, um, and the, the and national, e- national sex talk week. Yeah, exactly. Actually this year I, I looked on the calendar the other day. I think February 14th is on a Sunday this next year. Um, so get ready y'all. <laughs> There's going to be a sermon about it somewhere. <laughs> um, but I remember like we never did official like true love weight stuff in my church. They just pushed it. We talked about it. They encouraged it. Um, and I remember, um, growing up out of that and hearing about it and trying to, you know, trying to stick to that commitment you made when you were 12 years old, sure. you know, before puberty really hit you upside the head. And, uh, and, and then coming out of that and hearing that, you know, a lot of these kids, um, it, they weren't keeping the commitment because there were some things that we missed. Like, um, yeah. the biggest one I remember was, um, we've been told for, you know, six years in youth group, you wait till you get married, wait till you get married, wait till you get married. And then there's, you know, those friends that are like, well, I'm never going to get married. So what do I do? And, and that's, that's why I, in a book that's about sex, love, and relationships, there's a section in there on singleness. Mm. So want to just kind of flesh out a little bit, like why do you include a section on singleness in a book about love, sex, and relationships? Well, I, I love that you asked this, and it was very intentional and for a few reasons. Number one, studies are showing that less and less millennials and Gen Zers are getting married. That's what the trends show. And those who do are going to get married later. So you take a 14, 15-year-old kid, they're statistically speaking half of their life away from getting married if they even get married. Wow. So most of the young people reading this are single in the present, and they're going to be for five, 10 years, even though some will choose to be single anyways. And we didn't really talk about that. So one reason is just practically, (laughs) we got to talk about what it means to honor God with your singleness whether you ever get married or not. The second reason is theologically. I think in the church we've had an, have, we have had an unbalanced view of marriage. We've kind of told young people the way you're hinting at this, David, is if you just keep yourself sexually pure now, God will bring that spouse to you. And then no one put it in these words, but the message was then you'll have endless sexual bliss <laughs> for the rest of your life. and fireworks will go off and it'll be awesome. And number one, it's just not realistic. I was just talking about high school students yesterday. I'm like, for many people who get married, it takes years to get comfortable with each other and to figure things out. And you kind of make mistakes and you flounder through this and you learn that's a part of the bonding. But biblically speaking, if you read 1 Corinthians 7 or Matthew 19, both singleness and marriage are two equal, honorable ways of loving God and loving other people. And we haven't done a good job of doing that. What we've communicated in the church many times is, if you're single, we're going to tell you jokes about getting married. We're going to try to hook you up with somebody as soon as we can to get married. Or we'll send you over to the singles group, which really is you know, a dating group anyways. And I've had so many single people tell me, they're like, I've never heard of theology of singleness. I've never felt like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that singleness is a gift for the church, just like marriage is. I've never felt that my gifts are being utilized in the way that scripture discusses. So 
the reason I included it is practical and theological. But if you'll notice the way I organized the book, this might be helpful. The whole first third of the book is stripping away faulty ideas that our young people have gotten from our culture. Bad view of love, bad understanding of freedom. And in the, in the middle third of the book, I talk about God's design for sex, singleness, and marriage. And then the last third, I talk about sex abuse, pornography, LGBTQ, cohabitation, etc. But in the middle is where I'm talking about God's design and purpose, and I put it in this order, sex, and then singleness, and then marriage, to kind of balance the narrative, whereas in other books, if there was content on singleness, it usually was an appendix, or it wasn't even included in the or book. footnote. <laughs> yeah, or a, foot, a footnote, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of intentionality in, in approaching it this way. Yeah, and I remember um, I, I've had many conversations with my wife and the, and the conversations she's had with other young girls, especially newly married girls who uh, they're struggling. And you, you said it, it takes a yeah. while to get used to each other, but they've been told their whole lives that sex outside of marriage is icky. And so they've heard this constant narrative, sex is icky, sex is icky, sex is icky. And then they get married and the wedding night is terrible. Um, and it's, it's, I've heard stories of people where it's terrible for years because they thought that they had it been ingrained in their heads. This is an icky thing to do. Even with your married husband, you know, it's still icky. And, and it's like, it takes an act of the Holy Spirit and a good counselor to get them out of that mindset so they can actually enjoy what God's intention for them has been. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what kind of impact this is going to have on this next generation of trying to get a better, more biblically rounded approach to every aspect of this particular area of life. And you know, if I, I, I know you're about to jump in here, Brian, but let me, let me frame this for us. I think we make one of two mistakes. One mistake is to say sex is bad. Well, not only is that false, but it's not biblical. I mean, read Proverbs chapter five in the Song of Solomon. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful gift and blessing from the Lord. One mistake is to say it's bad. The other mistake we've made is to say to the world, oh, wait a minute, you think you have good sex? Come to the church, we have the best sex. <laughs> That's what we've communicated. So instead of saying to young people, Look, be holy because God is holy. Instead of saying to young people, follow God's design because that's actually how we best love God and we love other people. Our motivation is holiness and love. We choose the playbook of the world and say, no, no, no. Come to the biblical view because you'll get such awesome sex following this. That's no different than the prosperity gospel. But instead of money, you get good sex. Both of those are mistakes. Yeah, and I totally agree with, with both of y'all. Because I, I, for from I'm a nice child, so this is what I don't. Yep. I think it was more not necessarily in a, a the intention of the church, uh, at least in my experience. But I think it was just a byproduct of fighting against culture, and specifically with sex. Because okay, things have changed now. Culture with with Generation Z is not when I grew up. Uh, when I was in school, uh, even from middle school, it was the first time I, was, I, had, I had a girl want to have sex with me. Uh, when, I was, when I was in middle school, uh, I had high school. I had, we went on course trips and there was orgies going on in some of these trips. Stuff and, happened. And just <laughs> cra crazy stuff. Yeah. And, and not saying that doesn't happen today, 
but the culture has shifted uh, to where statistically speaking, again, I think you're referencing the same report by Barna that uh, one of the contribute factors that we're seeing is, is because of a smartphone is that relationships, good quality relationships is at a decline uh, because we don't know how to relate. They don't uh, relationally because we're so much behind a phone and that's effect also affected when it comes to teen pregnancy relationships. Uh, that's one dating team datings is at an all time low in a lot of ways because of that as well. Um, but, and what, so what we're seeing is we're seeing a shift in culture and just like for me, when I was, I was taught, uh, unintentionally that sex is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I heard all the time that sex is bad. Sex is bad. You're going to, you're, you're, if you have, if you don't have sex, you're going to ruin your life. And, uh, and just over and over and over. So it, I, I totally agree with both of y'all when it comes to things are shifting and how we need to approach it needs a shift. Cause even in my own personal life, how I approached my marriage, uh, was a little bit weird at first because I was taught how sex was so bad for so long. Uh, that I had to change my mindset when I was married. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never, of course, I don't share this with many people, but I've had to work that that issue even in, in my own life and how mm. I approached my marriage mm. uh, early, early on in my early twenties. Yeah, and that's that's rough because um, the 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 analogies were given. Do you guys, uh, Ryan, were you ever taught the the lesson where the guy had the rose and he passed the rose around the room? I don't know I don't if you guys I, know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's a famous pulling petals off kind of yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, okay, he, yeah, yeah. He had, he, he started a rose at the beginning of his lesson and said, everybody take this rose and look at it and feel the petals and the, and the, and the leaves and the, see the thorns and stuff. And, and he, and he does this talk about sexual purity. And by the time it gets to the end of the room, he picks it up again. He's like, look, look at this, you know, this has been touched and played with and messed around with by everyone in this room. And it's garbage now and it's worthless. And if you do sex before marriage, this is going to be you. I mean, what a terrible analogy. There's no possibility of redemption there. There's no possibility of restoration there. It's just, you're just telling, and it's targeted at the girls. Uh, it's, that's how I've heard it always targeted. Is he's always addressing the young ladies. And I'm like, that's, I've heard other guys talk about that and how that's a terrible analogy because you're basically telling them that if they don't wait before marriage to do anything, then they are now tainted and garbage and worthless. And that in the culture we live in now with, with atheism on the rise and and with the, the generation of the nuns, the N O N E S that don't believe in anything. We're, we're asking people to come to Jesus and not offering redemption on the other side of that for one particular sin. And that can be extremely damaging. It's kind of a Christian version of cancel culture, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, you do one thing wrong and we're going to cancel you and silence you. The reason I'm against cancel culture is because there's no forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And yet the very thing that sets Christianity apart, not only that it's actually true and we have evidence for it, it's redemption and it's grace. So that rose, there is some truth that when we give ourselves away, there are scars with that. And those scars and the memory of that remains. Like that's a point we have to communicate to students, but without saying, sorry, God can't redeem you. You're forever you use goods. 
and you can't be redeemed, that's nonsense. And that is far short of the gospel as well. Absolutely. And, and um, it kind of leads into the next thing that I would like to ask uh, you, Sean, is, of course, we're, we're talking about your book, and it's a phenomenal book. I'm halfway through it. I haven't finished it yet, but it's been a phenomenal read. I think it's a great resource uh, to, hold, to give a student, um, even to get a parent to walk through uh, their students, a phenomenal resource. But what are some practical steps that youth leaders and parents can take in, to, in addressing this specific issue when it comes to sex, love, and relationships? Well, I think the biggest thing parents can do is practically engage their kids in conversation. And it starts young. So not preaching at their kids, but just starting a healthy conversation. My, my parents, if anything, they almost went the other direction is my dad, because I'm 12, 13, 14, when he's doing this Why Wait campaign, he'd bring it up at the dinner table. He'd bring it up while we're driving to the car because he was reading studies and he was writing books. And he wanted to process ideas, but also intentionally engage us in conversation. So it was a regular part of the McDowell household growing up. So we do the same kind of things with our kids where, I mean, we talk about 90% other stuff, but it'll come up at the dinner table. We'll be watching a show and, and I'll hit pause and ask my kids, okay, do you see what's going on here? And what do you think about this? We are just engaging them in conversation all the time so they feel comfortable and safe coming to us, knowing we're not going to freak out, know we're not going to be quick to judge them, and knowing that we're actually going to give them an honest answer. So studies show that worldviews are best passed on in relationship. And that's why Jesus had 12 disciples relationally with him. That's why they would share a meal together and discuss these ideas. And I know in the back of minds, some of the parents are thinking, I don't know what to say, or I've blown it. And I don't feel the right to talk to my kids. And I would say a couple of things. Number one, you don't have to have all the answers. If you've had a kid, you already know a ton more than any high school kid does about sex. That's for sure. So you don't have to have all the answers. It's fine to say, gosh, I, I don't know. Um, I actually wrote Chasing Love for parents to be able to engage their kids and for young people to read. But second, kids don't expect their parents to be perfect. They really don't. I think just being honest and open, what you learned, what you wish you did differently, if there's a relationship there with, it, with a kid, they're going to listen. And also start young. Start young. young. Well, I actually think you have, as soon as a kid can talk, you're actually having a kind of conversation with them about sexuality, showing them comfort with their bodies, God's design for their body. So I actually think the conversation, I don't think you should have one, like the sex talk I've always thought is a bad idea. By the time any parent does this, when a kid's like, okay, they're 13, it's time for the sex talk. Well, like too late. This kid has already seen porn. They've heard from their friends. They've Googled stuff. That's too late. You should be having ongoing, regular conversations from as soon as kids can talk in an age-appropriate way. No, I, I agree. If, uh, even with our culture today, um, we're just cartoons. Okay, just a great example how homosexuality, LGBTQ, whatever, plus, whatever it is now, changes every day. It's all in kids programming. And I'll just give an example with, with my kids. Um, I'm going to have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And the last 
couple of years when we were watching cartoons and um and then a homosexual content pops up in one of the cartoons and I have to hit pause and we have to have a conversation on yeah. how about this. And I've never at that age, I never had a conversation. There was there was just no no, no thought to have that conversation because it wasn't in our media and, and programs for kids. This wasn't there, but uh, so I, I totally agree when it comes to starting as young as you can because it's so ingrained in our culture now and everyone's so exposed. Like my first time being exposed to pornography in the late 90s before smartphones, um, I was nine years old. Yeah, wow. first, first time exposed and it wasn't me looking for it. It was a friend showing me. Yep. And, and that's why I t- where when it comes to parents, when I try to coach them through this process as well is that you can put, you can, you can not have a smartphone. You can do whatever you can. They're going to see it. Uh, If it's not from their stuff or their devices, it's going to be from a friend or somebody across the street, a a person at school showing them. Uh, So it's good to have these conversations early on so they can be Mm. prepared and understand that that's wrong. It's biblically, biblically wrong and why that's wrong and how to, think through that process, what's the right things to do in that situation. Uh, so I totally agree. The earliest you can have a conversation, uh, the better. You know what the current research is now um, for the average earliest age of exposure to pornography? You know, it's, I've heard different studies. Some would say 10 and 11 years old is pretty typical, but I hear an awful lot of stories of eight years old for mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. So Either way, it's really young and it's earlier than we think. And if people listening are thinking, well, my kids are different because we homeschool our kids or we have blocks on our smartphones, what they can't control is what their friends are going to show to them or circumstances I even hear of a babysitter Mm -hmm. showing them. That's the world we live in. So unfortunately, we have to be proactive. And in some ways, I mourn, you know, the story you shared, Ryan, like you have to have these conversations with your kids when they're younger. You know, I wish we didn't have to, but that's the world we live in. We have to take the initiative with our kids and help them process these ideas before they get exposed to them by the world. Yeah, my, uh, I've, got, I've got an eight-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old daughter, a six-year-old daughter, and a four-year-old daughter, and, the, the, and then the twins are two and a half. They're boys, so I got some time. Mm. But um, my eight-year-old has started asking questions. And, and she wants to know what it is. And I'm like, we'll talk about it. Go to bed. And, and then I go talk to my wife and I'm like, all right, um, how will we talk about this with an eight year old? <laughs> and we're still trying to figure out how to broach the subject because uh, it's, we grew up in the generation of this is icky if you're not married. And it's, weird trying to get out of the mentality of it's not icky. You know, I try to teach our teens. It's amazing in God's design. You know, fire is amazing in the fireplace. <laughs> Rest of the house, it'll burn down, but in the fireplace, it's amazing. And, uh, and so this is, uh, this is quite the challenge is I've got kids that are now getting there to the point where we're going to have to start having those conversations and knowing that the average age of first exposure could be as low as eight or seven that's what I've got in my house right now. So I got to beat them to the punch. And, um, and I'm looking forward to getting all the way through this book and, and using this as a resource, even in my own home, let alone the church mm. and, the, and the youth ministry. 
Um, but if, if people, uh, if people want to ask some questions or, or maybe uh, dig into this topic a little bit more, or maybe even find out what else you've got out there as resources, uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you for stuff like that? So I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I am on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel. I am using social media every way I can, but the center of all of it is the easiest would probably be my website, which is seanmcdowell.org. And I've got links to the different social media. I've got links to the book. You can buy it from any bookseller. I've got a blog that's on there. Um, There's a lot of free resources too, a ton of videos on this topic, like on my YouTube channel. I have a playlist of just sex, love, and relationships. And there's two to three minute videos, quick answers. Like, should you use a preferred gender pronoun? How do you know when somebody actually loves you? And then some longer interviews with experts on questions like the Bible and homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, etc. So the starting place would probably be seanmcdowell.org. The book link is there, but there's also a lot of free stuff too. Awesome. Oh, well, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes when we release this episode. Well, Sean, I just want to thank you for taking your time and come on the podcast today. Oh, happy to do it. Thanks for reaching out. Well, guys, I, I really, really thankful for Sean. I'm really thankful for this book. Um, I have just finished this book roughly about a month ago as I'm going through this, uh, trying to find a resource basically for my parents when it comes to the subject. And it is a phenomenal book. In fact, I have recommended it to all my parents to read and to read with their teenager, specifically if their teenagers is in high school, to go through as a family. It's an awesome and phenomenal resource. Absolutely. And I would encourage highly, as, as Sean mentioned several times in the interview, um, make this a part of your normal conversation with your students and your, and your kids because um, they're definitely hearing about it from their peers and they're definitely hearing and seeing it online. And uh, what the world has to say about it is not helpful. So uh, make this something that it, you might have to start over, but make it something that they can eventually get comfortable talking with you about because it, it's vital for them as they grow up. Uh, and uh, just want to continue thanking you as we do every week. If you've been a longtime listener, we appreciate it. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, glad to have you. And if you have not yet, please leave a review, a comment or star review. Uh, for our podcast so that we can continue to bring quality content to the youth ministry world. Uh, and if there's a topic that you'd like to hear us cover on the podcast that we haven't hit yet, we would love to hear from you. And uh, we actually we have a new way to connect with all of our podcast fans because we have started a youth and culture Facebook group. And uh, that went live on Tuesday this week. So uh, please uh, find that off of our page. It's connected to our Facebook page, Youth and Culture Podcast, and uh, join the group. And that's a great way for us to not only connect with you, uh, but for you all to connect with each other, to encourage one another in ministry, uh, to share ideas, uh, to ask questions, to ask us to cover something that's been bugging you. Uh, and we'd, we'd, we'd love to, to meet you on Facebook. Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.